Welcome, everyone. It's a wrap with wrap. I am your host, Ron Rappaport. Before we start, I would like to thank all of our listeners, sponsors, and supporters that have helped to make this podcast so successful. The podcast is being heard in all 50 states, all provinces of Canada, and 45 countries around the world. Once again, thank you all so much. And if you would please share the podcast with your friends and family, that would be so much appreciated. This podcast features people who have overcome life's challenges and adversities, people who can inspire, motivate, and educate us on an assortment of topics. My guest today is Daniel Hegerich. Dan is a six-time cancer survivor, being first diagnosed at the young age of 28 with an aggressive form of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which his tumor markers indicated about a 12-month survival rate. That was back in the year 1994. Dan had this aggressive form of cancer six times in a six-year period from 1994 to the year 2000, which led him deeper into darkness until he bottomed out in 2000. He lost his sense of identity, love of life, relationships, health, and vitality. He was experiencing what we call life bankruptcy. Eventually, he left all of the medicine and began to create and follow a philosophy of health, life, and love. In five months, all the tumors in his body were gone and his adventure was just beginning. For over 20 years, Dan has traveled and learned from many educators and clinicians in the health field, and he wants to offer and share with us what he has learned about health, healing, and chronic degenerative disease through nutrition, movement, detoxification, and open dialogue. Dan has acquired from a combination of personal and professional training skills in sports massage, holistic counseling, medical qigong, conscious breathing, hair tissue mineral analysis, corrective holistic exercise, kinesiology, metabolic health, and currently a heroic and wellness coach for optimal life performance, as well as a bachelor's of science degree in civil engineering. Dan feels a deep responsibility to share his inspirational journey to help the progress and evolution of society towards the eradication of chronic degenerative disease as part of the human experience. Welcome, Dan, to the podcast. All right, here we go. You wrapped it up pretty good there. Yeah. <laughs> I have to get a couple of puns in there. Yeah, well, you know, and I like that pun. And uh, now you got to stick around, though. You can't go home. Right. Dan, take us back to your upbringing. And what was your life like prior to age 28? So uh, I think that's a great place to start because that's the, the, the phase before cancer, right? So, yeah, yeah. And so I grew up in a lower class uh, the the lower class of the middle class family, right? So it was, um, you know, my dad was just a laborer for United Airlines. Uh, he went in the Navy, get, came out, and that was his only job his whole life. It was just uh, working at the baggage area, the, you know, and loading the planes and stuff like that. My mom stayed home, had five kids, essentially had four of them right back to back. Uh, and then uh, my brother Greg was another six years, so he's nine years um, uh, younger than I am. So we had five kids in that household. That household was pretty chaotic, and that was pretty standard back then. Uh, yeah. Three, four, five, six kids—that was pretty standard. Living in a tiny little, you know, eleven hundred square foot ranch and one bathroom, uh, pretty stressful. That must have been fun. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you can get the picture. So. I, I would say back then it was quite a, a normal childhood in the sense that we had shelter, we had food, we had, you know, some some love in the air in some ways. And I had a lot of friends. The neighborhood I grew up in, we had a ton of friends. And I, I do remember it was just chaotic. There was parts of me that was like, how do I get out of here? There was really no structure to the environment. Um, so my dad, at the end, you know, he was essentially a, a chronic alcoholic and smoked two to four packs of cigarettes a day and all he did was work and at the end of the day he would leave his job and he would go to the gin mill and then come home and have a beer and then go to sleep and repeat you know and anytime he got overtime he would do that so his his life was based in that and my mom was a stay-at-home mom but she she definitely displayed a lot of what people would say you know challenges with structure and with her nourishing parenting style because she had five kids and obviously it's going to be a little, a big challenge. So it was, you know, go find your way, you know, learn how to swim in the ocean of life, so to speak, is how right, right. it was really brought up. So, you know, at eight years old, nine years old, I'm looking for 
uh, a way to make money, you know, and uh, earn money or find a way to keep myself uh, thinking in terms of how do I get out of this? Um, so, but in general, I remember lots of happy moments, great friendships um, in, in, in generally speaking, the challenges I probably had was uh, not the parental structural guidance that I needed to, to foster my own inspirations. So an example, at 10 years old, I saw my grandfather play the drums. I wanted to be a drummer. I was like, I want a drum set. So every year I'd ask Santa Claus for a drum set. And sure enough, one year I got it at like 12 or 13, 12 years old, I think, maybe even younger. And I remember getting the drum set, putting it up in uh, my room, and I'd play it every day at Christmas. After Christmas, I'd play it every day after school until about a month and a half later. I came home, and shockingly, I saw the drum set was missing, and I didn't know where it was. So I went down. My mom slept on the couch a lot. So I said, Mom, where's my drum set? And she turned to me and said, I threw him out. I couldn't stand the noise. What happened to that little boy was that he was shocked into this place that your dreams can't be lived. Nah. They have to be fantasized. So I yeah. sat, I, I I couldn't even get angry. I didn't even know how to get angry. Um, so I I sat in the space where the drums were, and I just I just sort of power I just sank into this other realm. I sort of shut down. So there were things like that, those childhood traumas that really played out in terms of me basically not having a great emotional IQ or emotional literacy. And so those things began to be suppressed and it led to smoking pot at an early age or starting to play with some cigarettes that I didn't, thankfully didn't get attached to. Um, and then drinking, you know, and it led to bigger and better things. My dad and mom separate. And so there was a lot more chaos happening. And when my mom, my dad left, I was like, oh shit, go to work. I really have, that's, that's what a man does kind of, that's what my thinking. Yeah. yeah. Any teaching. So I started working uh, at a restaurant. I started, it got me money for more pot and more drinking. And, and that led me down that path, that dark side of life where uh, that unsupported uh, parental guidance wasn't there. And although they tried to bring us to, you know, family counseling, but uh, it didn't work out in our best interest. So in, in direct, in a direct way. So yeah, that was it. And then I went to college Again, I just exasperated my, I went to college because I really didn't know what to do, right? That's kind of like a default, you know, yeah. military, working, union, uh, or go into uh, college. And I was really good in math. So I went into, I was really good in problem solving and mathematics. So I went into school for civil engineering and it took me five years. I graduated, but I really didn't, I didn't really like it. I mean, I, I liked the learning, but then when I came out, I didn't like the work. Right. And they're two vastly different things that oh, college yeah. never set me up for, right? Sure. And the only thing I remember is, you know, you got to start. I was unconsciously living the American dream. You go to get your education, get a good job, and you can get the woman and get married, right. get a house, start saving for retirement, have kids, and then grow old and then have grandchildren and set into the, you know, set into the sailing sun. That was the script. You know? Okay. And and sort of bolstering my ego, I thought, well, if I become a professional engineer, you know, I'll look successful. Or... So I'm following that. But I always had this knock on me that this wasn't me. You know, this was something was definitely not right. Everyone this was saying, just a this was just a script you were you were following. Yeah. And I know that at one point I remember I didn't have a real connection to my my biological dad as a father figure, you know, yeah. And so all these things that were going on with me, I didn't have anyone to really share or talk to. I didn't feel safe to talk to them. They would blame me. They would make me shameful or make me feel guilty or it was my fault, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And then as a kid, I would I would say, oh, it's my fault. There must be something wrong with me. Right. So now it's a character defect or an identity defect. And uh, so I would have to do things externally or egoically to prove that I'm okay, you know, to hide all that. So cancer was just that wake up call that said, Oh, wait a minute, you got to take a look at this stuff. Okay, yeah. So I want to get into that. So you become sick. At age 28. That's back in 1994. You go to the doctor. So tell us about that experience in your journey. Yeah, that was, um, 
really sick, had uh, what they call B symptoms, which is rigors or uncontrollable fevers at night and shivers for 20, 30 minutes. And then you'd sweat and then you have to change all the sheets. And then you, so that was the symptoms. So it wasn't your ordinary flu-like symptom that right. I was used to. And then I touched a little pea-sized lymph node here that was really solid. Like this, it was the size of a pea, but as solid as a, a grain of granite. And when I touched it, it elicited a shocking pain all the way down my right side through my foot. And I was like, whoa, 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 that doesn't make any sense. So right. I became essentially hypervigilant watching it and feeling it. And it started to grow and this, I got sick. So I got a biopsy and uh, a, about a week or two later, I found myself in the office of Dr. Lawrence Cloud in Boston. And I walked in, he's standing up, we greet each other, handshaking eye to eye. And he asked me a question. He said, Dan, how did such a young man such as yourself get into the business of cancer? And it wasn't overly shocking. It was more receptive, like, because I turned the engineer, something inside me turned the question inward and said, Dan, how did you get here? And basically, it replayed those 28 years of living. You know, how was I living? What was I doing? And really, what happened immediately was the question that came to follow was, Dan, if you were more Christ-like in your life, would you be here right now? And I said, no. And it's like, okay, don't take that as a religious epiphany or something or a coming home Jesus moment. It wasn't. But it was a, a uh, an awareness that yeah. woke up and said, I wasn't living my true authentic life. In other words, I was not being personally responsible for my life. Right. I was a victim of life, right? Yeah. And I, in that moment, I said, whoa, if I created this illness... I can create my wellness. I just have to know how to do right how I've done wrong in the past. So it started showing me all the ways I'd done wrong to myself and others. In other words, to my body, how I did wrong by all the way I drank and all the drugs I took. I know those things were, were out of self-medication, but it was also the best way I knew how to take care of myself at that time. So. Yeah. But those things, when I knew they weren't healthy for me, they weren't good for me. Yeah. And then there were things I didn't know. So I was living under this spell of ignorance and arrogance in some ways. And I was really disrespectful and, and ungrateful for this life, this body, this mind, this uh, potential, this opportunity. And I just shifted it. And I said, wow, I really do have an opportunity here to do right how I've done wrong to myself and others. And then in that moment, he basically said, Dan, with a little bit of suffering, you will grow stronger. And what that meant to me was that if I can identify with the person, the conscious being, that the essence inside of me that is in control of my choices, awareness, if I can have that awareness and be identified with having that um, personal responsibility for making choices, then I can change the situation. I could save my soul and help a lot of people potentially. And the way I had to do that, Dr. Lawrence Cloud became my professor of life and gave him my syllabus. Yeah, he gave him he my did. life syllabus. He said, Dan, how did you get into the business of cancer? And if you tear it apart, you can go a lot of places with that politically, corporate, you know, you can go a lot of places with that, that conversation or that statement in question. I took it personally and said, I'm going to be a detective. I'm going to try and figure that out. So he said, chemotherapy, we got a standard protocol for this type, you know, 50-50 chance it'll, it'll it'll work. And I said, well, it's going to buy me the time in order for me to answer that question. So yeah, I, I, knew, I knew, just to end that, that phase is I knew that that question, chemotherapy doesn't answer the question. Like in an engineering and scientific mindset, Dan, how did you get into the business of cancer? Uh, I didn't take my chemotherapy when I was younger. I didn't get my radiation. Or, doesn't make sense, right? You know, you didn't cut my lymph nodes out prior, so it doesn't it doesn't fit my logic at that point. So if it doesn't answer the question, how can it cure the problem? Right. So it's, so it can't because it, it it couldn't at the highest level, right? It could buy me more time, but that doesn't mean it's going to make it completely dissolve. So, so from 1994 to 2000, 
the cancer appears six times. Let's break away from the podcast for a moment to tell you about a great program available for those needing relief from muscle tension and joint tightness. The course is Hyperbolic Stretching, the Science of Muscle Geometry and Reflexes. Discover the eight-minute flexibility and mobility routines that can relieve your muscle tension and joint tightness in the next 30 days, regardless of your age, body type, or current physical condition. This program has been enjoyed by over 750,000 beginners and athletes worldwide. Splits, forward bends, back bends, full squats, and the ability to interlace your fingers behind your back are displays of natural range of motion we all had as infants but lost it for various reasons over time. There are many causes of muscle stiffness, ranging from lack of physical activity, incorrect way of sitting or standing, hard physical work, and heavy, strenuous exercise. Unfortunately, sooner or later, muscle stiffness often manifests as pain, especially in the neck, lower back, spine, shoulders, or hips. Proper stretching is the best non-invasive solution that can help you get back to living a pain-free life. What's more, it can even get you in great shape so you can restart your active life. This science-based stretching program doesn't require more than eight minutes per day, and it doesn't only develop your flexibility, but your muscular strength as well. You can save a lot of time with this program because there is no need to travel to gyms or yoga studios. You can follow the program while watching TV or listening to your favorite music. Here's some facts you didn't know. You'll gain more flexibility when you train your central nervous system instead of merely trying to stretch your muscles. Stretching the same muscle every day can actually decrease your flexibility. Three times a week is optimal frequency. Some of the main benefits you enjoy from this program are reduced stiffness and tension, improved posture, improved circulation, reduced post-workout soreness, improved sleep, better running, cycling, and golf, reduced back, hip, and leg pains, increased bladder and bowel control, and injury prevention. This program offers a 60-day money-back guarantee if for any reason you aren't happy with the course. The program sells for the unbelievably low price of $27, and you get lifetime access to the program. Click the link in the podcast notes for more detailed information about the course and to order it in a six-year period. Mm -hmm. uh, so what treatments did you go through and what effect did that period of time have on your marriage and, and your mental health? How did that all Wow, that's a great that's a that's a loaded question. So the first the first protocol was basically triggering my cocky little self, right? My competitive cocky self saying, I got this. You yeah. know, it's not gonna knock me down. I'm gonna go through this, I'm gonna get the answer. But I also took it upon myself to say, wait, I better start living my life. I gotta start living for me. And so I remember saying, you know what? I used to love ice hockey, so I went and um I went to the youth hockey program to start coaching. And I said, I might as well give back while I can. So I started volunteering to coach ice hockey. And that was a great outlet from a childhood little dream of, of skating and playing hockey. And it, it really was a, a therapy because of the emotional state of what I experienced when I played hockey. I was bringing that to these kids and we were having a, absolute blast. I was with a friend of mine from high school that played ice hockey with. So it was a good thing for me to dive in and start living my life. But I had remembered that um, I also had to figure out, well, I need to get back and really start to do things in terms of exercise, right? So that was the one outlet for me. And I started to um, get the chemotherapy and it was hard. It was, I admit, at that time, the way it was running, I went through this chop chop protocol yeah i mean chop things out i guess but it was it was hard you know all the hair on the body went the eyelashes the the eye everything left me um sperm count like all that stuff was gonna go and so that was in a a part of me that was like i'm okay life is life is okay i can live with all i can live with any out any of that stuff i don't need it to make me feel like something right and so i just navigated through medicine uh i was working at the time and i was coaching ice hockey that's what i remember and it lasted about eight months so from about march to about october roughly november 
that's when the chemotherapy was working. The tumors were regressed or in remission. And so then they were in the watch phase for that first cycle after that first protocol. But then three months into it, roughly February, I had the same symptoms. The tumors came back. Now the only option they had was a bone marrow transplant. And that was my own transplant if my bone marrow was clean. So they extract the bone marrow to test it. They said, your bone marrow looks clean for what we can do. So we're going to go ahead and harvest your bone marrow and we're going to go through a bone marrow transplant protocol. But at that time, I was like, okay, let's do it. Um, coaching ice hockey. Now I had to quit work. I had to go on long-term disability, short-term disability, long-term disability, and devote my whole time to this. So that's when I started to really think, wow, okay, this is going a little deeper. And it's my cocky self has to be checked checked here. Yeah. And I have to start turning that over to the creative part of me. And, you know, I didn't know what to do at that time. I just did the chemo, the bone marrow transplant. I did send out some prayers or, you know, starting to sort of open up to more spiritual essence and say, hey, maybe prayer will work. And I went through the process that again was about a seven month process. And it was, it was, that was really the, the a turning point because it, it, it had harmed me so much physically and physiologically and spiritually when it came back again. So about five weeks after the bone marrow transplant, I went home and started coming back. And they said that was the longest, that was the fastest we ever saw it come back. Wow. Anyone. So it was very aggressive. It was aggressive and it didn't wait. It didn't, it, I didn't, I didn't dive into my studentship and be, be, be a good student of that life thesis, you know, that I had to really take a look at that, that question. So I, at, at that point, I remembered the question, Dan, how did you get into the business of cancer? And at that point, my wife and I discussed, I said, look, I think I just want to let this ride out. I just don't have the energy. I just don't feel any mojo, you know, I mean, the hormones are whacked. The nervous system's whacked. Yeah. The digestive system's whacked. I've gone through a lot of pain, a lot of sleepless nights. I just, I, I just want to kind of give in. And she looked at me and she really infused me with the love that we had, that we thought we had for the relationship by saying, Dan, you really got to do this. So her fear of me dying, she must have gave me her life force, like charging the battery, so to speak drain yeah. yourself in some ways, like said, here, take my life force so you can live. That's kind of a reflection that I had back because that's what it felt like. Yeah. It felt like, whoa, the, 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 the inspiration from the woman really made me feel good. So well, you were, that, you were ready to give up. I was. And she really, she really hung in there at that moment. And at that moment I said, well, look it, I'm going to have to build a body this is an engineering talking. I'm going to have to build a body. And that means I have to get serious about diet and, and exercise. Okay. And that's yeah. the two strands. Now I want everybody here on the listening is to say diet. Everybody's on a diet, but it doesn't mean the diet's nourishing. Right. So I had to start learning what it meant to nourish myself. Right. And, um, and that was the journey into nutrition. Yeah. Right? And so that, and then movement or exercise I basically said, wow, I'm out of balance. That was just something an engineering mind said, you know, that I, I can't be in balance. I, I can't be in balance and have ill health. I have to be out of balance in some way. So I said, I have to be in balance. So being into fitness, I said, I've got to learn how to bring my body back into balance. So I started to study um, anatomy and uh, personal training and started taking the human body apart. And I started to say, hey, let me start learning about the body and go to gyms where I could start to train and train my body. So that was it, nutrition and movement. And that led me down a path of opening, like the universe opened up to books and teachers that started to align with me, even though I was going through another round, another protocol for chemotherapy. And I was coaching ice hockey. And now I felt like I found like an opening, a, a pathway for me to start exploring, answering that question. And so okay. the starting point was nutrition and movement and or diet and exercise, if you really come down to it. So 
Yeah. So that was the third. It, it, it came back and I had to go through another round, another protocol. And in the spring, I decided to um, ride for the Pan Mass Challenge, which is a 200 mile bike ride for the uh, for the Jimmy Fund for cancer research. And yeah. and that's when I decided to start riding my bike to train for that. And that would represent a year after my bone marrow transplant. So in May of two, May of 96, I had to quit chemo to train. <laughs> so they didn't like it because I was quitting the protocol, which had like another six weeks. Yeah. And I, I said, yeah, they don't no. like that. Yeah. No, yeah. no. And I said, well, I know my rights. If I'm going to die, I'm dying on my terms. If I'm going to live, I'm going to live on my terms. So I quit. I stopped it. And they wanted to monitor me, but uh, I rode 15, I put 1500 miles on that bike in those wow. few months. I rode the 200 mile bike ride in two days and I did it. And there was no sign of cancer until three months later, it came back again. This time it was in my bones. So this time it was in my spine and uh, it showed signs in my ribs and my right hip. And that was agony. That was absolutely agony. Um, I bet, yeah. The tumor growing out of the spine and all the damage or the the way I had to shift my way of gait and stuff. But they did a lot of rate, high dose radiation, experimental radiation to the front and back of the spine to reduce that tumor. And it went away. So, you know, this it just kept going deeper and wider into what am I missing? What 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 part of that question am I missing? And I just kept plugging away. I just said, you know, all right. Uh I'm just going to have to keep praying to God, praying to somewhere outside of me, because I know it's like a, it's kind of woo-woo for people to do this for some people. But for me, it felt like, what the heck? Let's try everything. You know, let's try prayer. And sincerely, in the sense of not looking at a, a, a handwritten prayer, but creating my own, my yeah. own authentic, right? My own kind of prayer, like, hey, God, just you got to show me a sign that you're with me. I'm in the right directions. And he did, you know, there was definitely times when I was, you know, seeing a sign or taking it as a sign, like saying, hey, that's a sign. I'm going to follow it. Right. Even if right. it wasn't, I'm, t I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm going to accept it as a sign. I'm going to follow that. Yeah. And so I just kept building this, this knowledge base of nutrition and movement and people and mentors that were there for me. And I felt like they were really a big support and um, building this new, I guess you could say spiritual family, right? This, this group of people that would be supportive of me answering that question, really just grabbing information. Like, a, a, like I said, a detective and a researcher. And uh, here we are, you know, that was in 1997. And finally I stopped chemotherapy for good. Um, and, but two years later, my wife left the marriage. And that triggered a mental bipolar episode. So mentally, I was definitely in between like the desire to live and be fully alive and right. also fighting off the demons. Yeah. And this polarity between the two. Well, I, I want to go down that road. So so you leave you leave the medical care uh, you were getting after six years. We're just going to kind of fast forward with tumors still in your body after you have a conscious awareness of the philosophy that self-love was the answer to your cancer. So take us through that thought process and your decision to leave the medical treatment. And, and actually after that, in five months, you're tumor free. Yeah. That, that's, um, that was when I was really getting to a point where people would say you're bottoming out or, I was fighting so hard between the spirit side and this ego side. And I, it led me down a path, this bipolar illness, it led me down a path of wanting to end the pain. So I was very suicidal. And at one point, I finally wound up finding my way into a gun club to get access to a gun. And I, I rented a gun. I went into the gun, the gun range. Nobody's there. I mean, the, the scene was set for me to off myself. And I don't mean that in terms of my physical side. I mean the pain. I just wanted to get out of pain. This yeah. polarity, this pull of pulling me apart, right? 
And I remember having the gun and I, I, I was having this internal conversation with these two parts of me. One was like this older man saying, hey, uh, I'm going to kill myself. And then this little other part of me was like a younger boy or something saying, ah, you're a coward. You can't do it. Or vice versa. I don't know how it was going, but it was this back and forth of like, you can't do it. You're a pussy. Oh, you can't. You can. I'm going to show you. I'll show you. And I'd put the gun in my mouth and it's like, ah, you're faking it. You, you have no courage. And I put it behind my head and consciously knew that if I put it behind the, uh, the lump of knowledge, which is the karate chop in movies, the lump of knowledge is yeah. uh, if you if you aim a gun about 22 degrees right underneath there, you'll you can kill yourself or kill anything in without anything. It would be ended instantly. And this went on for about four or five minutes, or it seemed eternal. But then a third part of me, I call that the witness. The, this part of me, the judge, this witness was like, hey, you two, if you guys are just going back and forth, volleying back and forth, why don't you guys take a break and aim for the target? So I did. I said, hey, we both agreed. Hey, we'll put ourselves down. We're going to aim for the target. So I did. But I aimed so profoundly. I became so hyper-focused that that target that was 75 feet away just grew and grew and grew and grew. And it filled like it filled the whole room. And there was no pain. There was no argument. There was nothing. There's literally nothing. There was this state of peace and potential and a sense of humor, a sense of intelligence that was present with me. I shot all the bullets into the target. And then at the end of that, at the end of that, it was just this awareness of like, that's the identity. I have to identify with that part of me. What was that? And I looked at the gun and ironically and paradoxically, I looked at the gun and said, wow, this gun just saved my life. Guns don't kill people. It's the suffering of man that kills people. And anything can be used as a weapon. So yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't the gun. The gun just saved my life, paradoxically. So I put, I, I went back and that moment I said, I need to learn how to love myself. I need to have to love that part of me that was showed up and said, take a shot at the target. What was that? Who was that part? What was that part of me that, that woke up and said that? It was probably the same part of me that said, hey, Dan, how did you get into the business of cancer? <laughs> so, right. Hey, right. So it was that part of me I wanted to learn how to identify, but I was very materialistically centered and centric in terms of my upbringing. I didn't know there was a spiritual side. So this was a really spiritual epiphany. And um, and that set the course for me to actually say, I need to love myself, that self. So I, I two days later, I went psychosis because I couldn't share this with anyone. I'm under, I'm under psychiatric care. So they're going to think I'm crazy by saying anything. And I, and literally I was going crazy because I couldn't share it. I had no social structure or anybody wow. to share this with that I thought would be safe. Yeah. And that psychosis moment was, I need to check in with a, uh, the psychiatric ward. So I called my psychiatrist. I said, I got to go into there. I'm feeling a lot more nerves and anxious. I kill myself. And I go in and I said, hey, I need to learn how to love myself. That was the experience I shared with them. And they said, Dan, that's your mental illness talking. We need to up your medications and we need to change your medications. So that's when I got so angry. But that was the same feeling in some ways as the drum set being thrown out. I could only sort of harbor that anger and just sort of sit in this fantasy of what life would be like and, and just hide the anger. Like I had no outlet for it. And, uh, and then two days later, my tumors came back and they were raging back. And at that point, I realized that medicine offers fear. They don't offer love. They have no clue what they're, they couldn't see me for who I wanted to be. And I had to fake my way out of there. And I admitted right then, I'm never, ever, ever going to do medicine ever again, because they only are fear-based. It's a model that's fear-based. And with cancer patients, I know right now that might be tough for you to hear, but they'll they'll make you feel afraid if you don't think doing chemotherapy. That if you don't do it, you're gonna die. If you know, it's just a business model that is narrow and they don't expand open and see a bigger picture of the human being that's experiencing cancer. They don't have cancer, they're experiencing it. So 
I left that model and I went home and I moved in with my mom and I started to meditate and journal and write and listen to things like Eckhart Tolle and various other great thinkers and information from how I was an engineer and some of my engineering was on environmental hazardous waste sites. And I was starting to really make a connection between how we assessed and treated and cleaned up the earth from hazardous waste as my body. I sort of said, it's the same thing in some ways. And so I said, wow, how am I going to start this? So the first thing that came was I had recognized that on hazardous waste sites, some engineers were talking about bringing bacteria and enzymes and various other microorganisms onto the site to digest toxic material. And I said, ha ha, I must be bacteria um, uh, deficient and I have a, a, a unconscious germ phobia. Huh. And I realized that, wow, how many people in the world are following this idea that germs cause illness and parasites, fungus, viruses, and all these things cause illness. When in fact, I said, I actually have to open up a symbiotic and uh, harmonious relationship with the bacterial and microorganisms of the world. I actually had to go get sick. (laughs) I actually had to go get sick. I had to, yeah, I had to touch dogs. I had to not wash my hands so much. I had to, yeah, I had I had to be put my hand in dirt. I had to get my feet in the dirt. I had to get dirty. Uh, and I had to get bacteria back into my body. So I had a mentor that suggested, which worked out really well, he suggested I do a probiotic implant into the rectum to get bacteria back into the colon. And so that was about a seven-day process. And um, sure enough, after I did that, tumors started to go away. Interesting. And I, and I don't... I, I also... I mean, if, was it was it just that or was it the fact that I had this amazing opening of wisdom coming through, then I applied it. So was it the actual application of what I did or was it the combination of the whole thing? In other words, this was my path. And so it started to work. And so I doubled down. I just kept finding ways to implement my uh, relationship with the germs and learn about the germs and the bacteria and microorganisms as healers for us. If they're from nature, if they're not from nature, if they're from man, that's a problem. That's a big difference. But if it's from nature, nature's here to heal us and help us evolve. So, um, the second thing that came up in that summer was that I had a, uh, a fat phobia, animal fat. So I was always eating lean meats, lean chicken, don't eat a lot of red meat, make sure you use your vegetable oils, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, whoa, 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 maybe I I need fat. Maybe I need saturated animal fat. I like it. It's just that it wasn't socially accepted. So I started diving in on (laughs) all kinds of animal fat and butter. And I, I made that connection that society at large was having a fat phobia at the time. And I said, wow, maybe this is a problem. And when I started diving into that research, the fat-soluble vitamins are a major player in terms of cellular health and immunity and hormonal health, et cetera. I mean, it was just amazing. And then when I started to talk to some of my mentors, they were opening up and they were saying, you're, you're, on, you're on path. You're on your path. This is your path. And so... Those two nutritional phobias, I hypothesize, are implicated in almost everybody's chronic degenerative disease. So those two are fat and the and the fat and soluble the germs. and the germs. Fat soluble, yeah, fat soluble uh, vitamins from animal sources, of course, high quality animal sources, but also the germs or the microbial world. Those are the phobias. So. Mm-hmm. If cancer is not a disease, what might it be? Wow. I mean, when we look, when I look back at, if you think about Dr. Lawrence Cloud and I in that meeting, if cancer, if cancer was such a disease, why did it have such an impact in waking me up? You know, um, if cancer is not a disease, what could it be? Well, so if cancer is not a disease, it's an expression of the disease. If cancer is, let me back up a little bit and I think it'll come, I'll come full circle to what we just said. 
the medical model says cancer is a disease. So they're going to look at it from a certain perspective, correct? Right. But in this plane of living, in this dualistic plane of living, every statement has an opposite statement that can uphold it. So if someone says cancer is a disease, someone could actually take a look at that and say, well, what if cancer is not a disease? Now, if you take the perspective that cancer is not a disease, are you going to look at it differently than someone that says it's a disease? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, of and on this plane of living, do you think you can find evidence to prove both sides or create evidence to prove both sides? Probably. Yeah. You can. Absolutely. Right. So which way do you think is empowering and which one is disempowering? Cancer is a disease. Something's happening to me. Disempowering. I have nothing to do with it. Well, cancer is not a disease. Whoa, this is empowering. So what path yeah. am I on in this life? I'm on an empowering path. I want to lift myself up out of all my victimhood. So it's not happening to me. It's happening for me. Okay, gotcha. That's one of my big lines. It is. Yeah, it is. Okay, all right. Yeah. Well, here we are. We're right in alignment then. It took us yeah. about 40 minutes, but we're in alignment. We're in so, alignment. So cancer is happening for me is the empowering path. So cancer is not the disease. So what might it be? Let's think of it this way. Cancer is a survival mechanism of the body. What does that mean? It means it's another life form seeking expression relative to the environment that it's growing in. And all life forms want to survive and grow, right? Right. So it doesn't matter what it is. So if you want an analogy, if you go through the forest at the right time of the seasons in the day, you'll see mushrooms popping up everywhere. Now, is that cancer of the forest or is that another life form seeking expression to help the forest? Another life form. Yeah. So we don't want to cut, burn, and poison it. We want to understand it. Right. And what is its role? Okay. So the same thing with cancer. Cancer tumors are just mushrooms in the body, essentially. Right? And they're coming active because of something happening in the environment. Okay. In which gotcha. that, that cancer is growing. So let's not cut, burn, and poison it unless it's creating blockages, severe blockages in arteries and bowels. You might have to do some surgery, but... Let's take a bigger look and let's take a second. So what else could it be? So if cancer is a survival mechanism and cancer could be another life form seeking expression, what else could it be? Let's make it up on the empowering side. What's your creative thinking? You can make it to be anything you want. It's an opportunity. Ooh, that's a good one. This is an opportunity to what? To answer the question. How did I get into the business of cancer? Okay, yeah. it's an opportunity. Oh, it's a self-studentship. It's a school. It's an educator. It's a guru. Whoa, it's a guru? Yeah, it's bringing me back to the real me. Definitely that's, can look at it that way. That's what a guru is. Right. So we have the free will to look at our experiences from whatever lens we feel is in our best interest. Dan, you mentioned there are five stages of disease and illness. What are yeah. they? So the, the first stage is loss of homeostasis at the cellular level. Okay. That's where everything's in uh, that's in conjunction with everything. Yeah. You, you right. know, someone, you know, if you, if you're, if you're religious, you could say you got kicked out of the garden of Eden. Right. Right. And <laughs> the garden of Eden is represented as the tree of knowledge. I mean, yeah, yeah. The tree of life. And when you get kicked out of the tree of life or the source of life, then you go into basically the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong. So now you're into the mind. And so everything starts at the mind, right? Loss of homeostasis at the cellular level. Okay. And so we're not, so because we're not sensitive enough to experience this, we continue on our path until we separate into the next level, which is the pathophysiological level. And that's where, the body starts to feel things subclinically. It's not showing up. It's subclinical. You might feel a little off, but you know what? It's normal. It's life. It's modern life. I don't have to worry about it. It's nothing. But it's nagging and it's there and you know it. Medicine can't detect it in blood. They can't detect it in their, you know, uh, all their ways of testing people. So you continue with your life and you now lose another form of uh, stage of development where it now becomes um, 
clinical where they can measure it. Something's going on clinically, right? And then if you continue on to stage four, it becomes symptomology. So okay. symptomology is when or where the medical model can do something. But they're four stages away from where the illness came from. So they're All only right. intervening four stages. And stage five is a long path of death. So this is where the body is always, always, always seeking to return to homeostasis. Always. And that's what our pain and suffering is. It's always a cry for us to move to the, the stage before that and uh, learn how to bring about more homeostasis within the cell or cellular homeostasis. And you could say instead of cell, C-E-L-L, -L, you could say homeostasis within the self, S-E-L-F, right? So knowing your true self is a very powerful healing pathway for people. And also healing the cells is another incredible healing pathway for people. And if you do both at the same time, magic can really happen. So, so as a, well, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just finishing that stage five. A lot of people are, are dead at 50, but they live to 80. They're just merely existing and they're just waiting for the end of life. They're just, they don't have no purpose yeah. and meaning. They don't really get it. They're suffering. The doctors are filling them up with all this poison because they, they basically only know the symptom. They don't see the stages of the illness and work to get them to the next uh, homeostatic level and reverse and go back towards homeostasis. And when you're in balance, then you're in harmony with other people and with nature. So if we look at the bigger picture of what we're doing to nature, it's because man is out of balance within himself. Gotcha. Now, as of today, you are practicing being a heroic life and wellness coach uh, to hopefully eradicate society of chronic degenerative disease. Tell us your philosophy and work that you do with your clients. So that's beautiful. I think one of the things is we have to unveil what I do with people is we have to establish what is your philosophy for living. So if you don't have one that you've consciously chosen, you have one programmed in from the environment you grew up in and from the people you surrounded yourself with and the culture you're in. So that's the first step. And then the second step is to realize there's two pathways. There's the pathway of pleasure and pain and um, the victim pathway, this is happening to me. Or there's the virtue pathway, you build your character and you're saying this is happening for me. And this is the empowering pathway. So I wanna actually inspire people and inform people how to get back on that path and stay on the path of empowering yourself to take back your health and well-being, because I know now health is the foundation to life, human life. Okay. And then love is the purpose for living. So let me clarify that love is the purpose for living. It's not what you're getting. It's how you're radiating love. You don't need to be loved because you are love in the world and in your actions and activities and relations. So the need to be loved is still someone that has not matured into that pathway of heroically leading themselves into a virtuous path of self-mastery is one virtue, right? And it's not, virtue is not about pointing fingers at other people. It's about taking ownership of how you want to live. And we're going to need courage to live our life on our terms. We're going to need love. We're going to need self-mastery, self-mastery. You have to have discipline to do those things that bring you towards who you want to be in the world. And then you have to have self-control over the old self that's trying to pull you away from those things. Bringing people into that arena, we I already know so many people I coach that they already know things that they should be doing or want to be doing, but they're not. Right. They're not doing it. Right. But Why? they know they're not doing it. Exactly. That's the arrogance I was living under, you know, and it led me to a, a lot of problems. So yeah, yeah. I don't want to live too arrogantly and I want to live more in integrity with listening to that and taking action on it. What What are the most important things cancer survivors need to consider in their role to health and healing? I think the first one is sobriety. You got to be sober. You know, and in and, and all its forms, you got to you got to consciously suffer. You got to go into the pain. Don't keep trying to run away from the pain. You have to enter the pain and listen to it and ask for its message. 
ask for its truth. What is my truth here? What is the truth behind this pain? But if I keep trying to run from it and hide from it or self-medicate it, I'm really never going to get to the truth or the bottom of it. You know, sobriety is absolutely at the key. I understand mar medical marijuana now is big and there's definitely some um, some merit for that because if you're in chronic pain too long, you can't think logically. So you have to get out of pain to actually have some hope. So I get that. So I'm not saying this is an all or nothing. It's an individual choice. But for me, I entered the pain. I didn't want to medicate the pain. Even with the tumor growing out of my spine, I didn't take any painkillers. I sat with the pain. Now that's my journey. And that was my personality. And that was my way. But that's not somebody else's way. So, But I just want you to understand the general theme is sobriety is number one. And then nutrition and movement and detoxification and detoxification isn't just, you know, detoxification can be a lot of things, you know, and that means letting go. Detoxification is another word for letting go of what no longer serves you. And you teach all this. Yeah, that's part of the uh, open dialogue process, because that's essentially what coaching is, is open dialogue with a strategy to help a person get back to themselves, to be empowered. So I'm not here to tell you how to live. I'm just I'm going to show you how I'm living and I'm going to give you some tools and techniques to help you cut your path along the virtuous way, the heroic path. So do people uh, who come to you, your clients, are they also uh, as they're conferring with you, are they also adhering uh, to their medical team's advice? That's a conflict. For, that's sometimes a conflict for them. But oftentimes I can help them understand why are they, why are they making the choices they're making and take ownership of those choices. Okay. Right. In other words, why are you doing that? Well, because I have no other choice. That's not true. You're afraid of other choices. Potentially. This is the one that you feel comfortable and safe making. Mm, right. I get that. Okay. So you just need to have more awareness. So if I was to sum up a formula, you need more awareness with awareness. You have more choice. With more choice, you're going to get results. And those results are not good or bad. They're just brings up more awareness. That's all it is. That A result is only there for more awareness. And that awareness allows you to make choices, either better choices or the same choices that bring you the, the results that you want. So that's really the process is everything comes from awareness into your free will to make a choice and expand your choices. So therefore, many cancer patients might be under that shock psychologically shocked they're going to be under fear and so their curiosity is not is not there their open mind and open heart sort of get narrowed right i'm asking them to relax 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 open mind stay open-minded stay open-hearted let's take a bigger look don't look at cancer as a microscope under a microscope look at it from a telescope expand your view of life there's a lot more that's being happening Cancer is not happening to you. You're experiencing cancer for a reason. I don't have cancer. I, it's not that you're a cancer patient. I'm not a cancer survivor. Don't use that language. I experienced cancer in order for me to grow into a conscious life of love. Ooh, that's a whole lot better than I have cancer and I'm doomed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And Dan it's not what, living that and embody it. Yeah. Dan, what is your vision for humanity? Well, um, I hate to sound pessimistic, but optimistically, I think we need more pain and suffering. I think the problem is, is that we haven't bottomed out as a human, a human society to start navigating back to its spirit as a, as, a, as a species. I think we're still separating from that and we're still on a slide we're down and we haven't bottomed out. You know, it's like anything else, the alcoholic, how come the alcoholic can't change his way because he hasn't bottomed out. He hasn't turned himself around and said, I'm going to live a life of spirit. You know, and I think there are definitely in the last couple of years, for sure, with COVID, I think a lot of people are starting to say, hey, we got to we got to shit. I got to shift myself and I got to start taking my power back. You know, and so I think that I think there. There's movement in that direction, but there's so many dark forces that have, have a, a lot of control over how you navigate this. And so that's part of it. But then on the flip side, I live my life 
in the sense that there's so many reasons that joy is right around the corner, you know, yeah. like freedom and humanity is going to be liberated. It's right around the corner. There's so, so you're many positive. Moments. You're positive. Yeah. That's the optimistic, pessimistic side. But I look at both sides of the coin and I, I definitely wake up and I, I make sure I take care of my body temple, my mind, and I keep myself inspired to make a difference. You know, and, uh, you know, really, it's 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 not as complicated. It's basically just saying my purpose is to what can I do today to make myself healthier, wealthier and more loving today than I was yesterday. You can't go now, wrong I mean, with that. With if, that. No. And if I want and if I, and that's my coaching, that's all it is, is how can I make you healthier, wealthier and more loving today than you were yesterday? Right. So if we all start doing that, the view for humanity is going to be an amazing, an amazing thing. Like. Yeah. Humans are amazing. <laughs> they are. We're amazing. Right? The stuff we can do, the love that we can put out, the generosity, the kindness is absolutely unbelievable. It's so beautiful. But why do we need crises in order to rationalize and justify and validate doing those things? We have You're to right. start getting, we have to get, that's why. Why do you need cancer in order to stop making changes? You know how many people I hear say, if I get cancer, I'll call you. You see what I mean? Yeah. It's but that's that's that why you need that to justify and have social permission to make change. Yeah, doesn't make sense. You're right. No, you know. So that's why I have. That's why the dark side humanity continues to slip to slip. You know, into the darkness. And um, but I I live I live life with hope. So. Yeah, we, uh, and I'm glad you do, and I do too. How, how can people contact you, Dan? Uh, the best way is to go to my website, danhegerich.com, danhegerich, H-E-G-E-R-I-C-H.com. There okay. you just learn some information about me and uh, some of my services. And then secondly, just you can email me directly, danhegerich at yahoo.com. And we can have a discovery call. It won't cost you anything. It'll be a 30-minute discovery call. I just want to get to know you and see, you know, what's going on in your life, what's going on in your heart, what's going on in your mind. And let's let's really solve some mysteries to you, you know, and let's get you on the path. If you're on the path, let's just keep you on that path because it's it's not it's it's not paved in gold. It's not it, as you yeah. know. <laughs> not easy. There, there, there are obstacles yeah. and there are demons that we have to face and uh, we have to become warriors, W-A-R-R-I-O-R-S, warriors instead of warriors, W-O-R-R-I-E-S. Absolutely. That's essentially the two paths that I was talking about, right? This yeah. is happening to me. I'm worried. Right. Or this is happening for me. I'm a warrior. Yeah. Dan, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story and all the great work you're doing to help others uh, live their lives to the fullest in the most healthy and smartest way as possible so thank you so much for coming on it was a pleasure to talk to you hopefully we'll have you back and that'll uh, be a joy we'll, we'll again talk, let's just we'll talk some more if it can affect another person that's yeah that's, that's i don't care just we one have more one, person one person yeah even all it takes person. yeah for our audience out there comments and suggestions you can email me at it's a wrap with rap at gmail.com uh our website is it's a wrap with rap.com all the episodes are on there uh, we have a Facebook group, uh, which is in the thousands, and uh, a Facebook page. It's a wrap with rap. We're on Instagram. That's in the thousands. It's a wrap with rap podcast. All the episodes are on YouTube. It's a wrap with rap, the podcast uncut. I want to thank everyone for listening. And for now, it's a wrap.